Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, with the mighty Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And at this time, we got Lady Hyde on f- actually six now streaming channels. We have um, Emmanuel, in S- Emmanuel in Sin City. My take on the Emmanuel franchise is being uploaded as we speak to um, different film channels, streaming stations. So hopefully that'll be up in about, uh, I don't know, by the time you hear this, about two months or so. Uh, it's like a 180 gig file, so uh, and my upload speed's very slow out here for some goddamn reason. So that's a drag. But uh, yeah, I got that going on, and uh, that's about it right now. I'm getting those two films up and running. Oh, the, and we got She Knows Feratu, which is in uh, editing right now. And uh, that should be out before, uh, I don't know, I, I said summer, but we'll see. Summer or definitely by the end of this year. So that's the plan right now. Um, kind of laying low after that. we got to have some money coming in and stuff to do other films because uh, right now I'm running on fumes and uh, can't really do too much without money. So, you know, that's where we're at. But speaking of someone who doesn't do, or actually who can do a lot with a little bit of money, is uh, the subject of this podcast always, and that is the Mighty Jess Franco. And right now, we are on episode 131, film 136, Bahia Blanca. This film uh, was released on Blu-ray by Severin on a brief, like, two or three day sale, like, years ago, and I picked it up. It was, uh, and then quickly went out of print. And uh, it was not the first Franco film I got, but it was um, like in the first 20 maybe or 25 films of his I got. And uh, yeah, and I'm finally going to watch it now after all these years. So I'm really excited to watch it. Um, recording this before I've watched it, but I already know what it's about and all that shebang. So I'm not ruining it for myself. But uh, yeah, this is a film that definitely is a high point in the later period of Jess Franco's career, from what I've read and what I've been told. Of course, I haven't watched it yet, like I said, so I I can't give you my perspective as of yet, but I will be watching it, and then we'll go to town. But yeah, this is uh, film 136, uh, came right after The Girl with the Red Lips, and this is Bahia Blanca. Uh, And uh, Bahia Blanca, the translation, um, Blanca, of course, is white, and Bahia, Bay, so White Bay, um, Spain, nineteen eighty four, like we said, and this is self financed by Jess Franco and uh, Manicoa Films out of Madrid, theatrical distributor. Believe it or not, this was unreleased theatrically, so yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, intended theatrical, intended theatrical running time eighty five minutes. The video running time converted from the SP Spanish Azor A Z O R Films PAL VHS ninety two minutes twenty two seconds. Uh, director, of course, we all know who that would be, Jess Franco. Director of photography, Awan Solar Cozar. Camera assistant, Angel Ordales. Makeup, Juana Di Le Moreno. Art director, uh, Carlos Spencer, Spitzer. Production manager, Antonio Mayans. Musician, Julian Sancristan. Uh, music, recording, harmony, camera, uh, lights, Giska. Well, I got a lot of stuff here. Sound recording, blah, blah, blah. Okay, film editing. Uh, Fujiko, okay, uncredited. Producer, Jess Franco, which is pretty awesome. Camera operator, Jess Franco. Editor, Jess Franco. All right, so he 
acts in this. He directs it. He uh, edits, produces, and operates camera. So, cast. Ava Leon is the lead as Al- Alida. Ali Alida, a.k.a. Mandanga. Uh, Lena Romay, the mighty, beautiful Lena Romay, plays Maria. Antonio Mayans plays Comisario Carlos Fernandez. Trino Traveris plays Leon Maderas. Anari Ivars plays Silvia Maderos. Antonio Rabolo, a.k.a. Tony Skios, plays Raul Sebastian. Jose Lamas plays Andy Sebastian. Juan Solar Cozar, as Juan Cozar, plays Ramiro Sarmento, the pathologist. Angel Zarles plays Rufo, Raul's henchman. Jess Franco plays Oscar Elmirias. Juana de la Moreno plays a woman watching at Quarryside. Flavia Hervis is a little girl on the Quayside. And Vanessa de la Moreno is a second girl at the Quayside. So yeah, that's Juan Solar. I mean, sorry, that's um, um, Jose Lombos' children, or Flavia and Vanessa. All right. Um, I'm not going to read the synopsis because it's really large. I'm going to go ahead and read the back of the um, Severn Blu-ray about it. Uh, and they have... Um, a grand tragedy of love, jealousy, and passion. Oh, it's by the Franco Nomicon. Cool. One of uh, Franco's least seen works and a favorite of his devoted fans. That's a good site, Franco Nomicon. I like that. It's on Facebook. I'm a member of that. Uh, and they have, during the mid-80s period of professional upheaval, writer-director Jess Franco shocked the industry by self-financing what remains one of his most idiosyncratic and rarely seen films of his entire career. When a battered corpse washes ashore in a small Spanish-facing village, the local community of prostitutes, mobsters, and lawmen will begin to seethe with lust, vengeance, and murder. Lina Romay stars with Eva Leon, Antonio Mayans, Anel Avars, and Antonio Rabalo in this haunting thriller that Franco scholars have compared to both Johnny Guitar and Kill Bill, now scanned in 4K from the original negative for the first time ever. So yeah, that's what they got. All right, review by Stephen Thrower from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Just Franco, Volume 2, Stephen Thrower. All right, review. Upon seeing this intelligent and immaculately photographed character piece, the first thing that crosses the Franco veteran's mind is, where the hell did that come from? At this stage in his career, Franco was running short of new ideas, and was frankly more inclined to take one of his old favorites for another trot around the padlock, paddock, around the track. Uh, then out of the blue, he comes up with a moving and beautifully controlled melodrama by Gia Blanca. is a somber, mature piece of work about conflicting lives and loves in a remote coastal community. And along with Huego uh, Valplay Casablanca, it's probably as close as Franco ever came to a purely character-driven drama. Eroticism and horror are put aside for the duration, and it's actually a relief to discover that Franco can sustain a story without them. The emphasis is squarely on the relationships with little or no explanation element. For instance, a scene involving the rape of a mute girl by a criminal 
hoodlum, is brief and unvoiristic. And while Ava Leone and Lena Romay go topless fairly often, it's just a natural faucet facet of their uninhibited characters. After so much repetition in his recent films, some of it sublime, some of it substandard, Bahia Blanca feels like something new for Jess Franco. Check something out real quick. Okay. okay. Um, and it's really a pity that this film was never released theatrically. Although the only version that survives as of this writing, which of course there's now a Blu-ray, um, is a dreadful Spanish video release with smeary color, bad tracking, and buzzy sounds. I could say without fear of, contra- of contradiction that the cinematography is gorgeous with an emphasis on deep orange shot skies and lamp-lit wood tones. It really is a tragedy this film is so hard to view. Well, not anymore. Like I said, it's on Severn through Blu-ray. Uh, for all it's worth, for all it's set in the real world, for all that, it's set in the real world with layered, ambiguous characters. Bahia Blanca is a strange tale, one that hints at the supernatural but chooses not to cross that particular threshold. The possibility of ghostly influence is raised by Don Oscar, a mystical character played by Franco himself, who pops up now and then to offer gloomy predictions of death and ruin. He claims that a nearby island to which the menfolk of a local fishing village are drawn is the home of a witch, or mermaid, out to destroy them. When Carlos Fernandez a cheerfully inept policeman, goes to investigate, he finds two flesh-and-blood women, one of whom, Alida, but remembers from a warehouse he used to visit. She now runs a bar for fishermen, and there's nothing supernatural or scary about her. She lives on the island with her mute sister, Maria, and it's the warped relationship between the two of them which provides the crux of the drama. There are no heroes, and even the villains are carefully nuanced. Corruption is a way of life, and the authorities supposedly and the authorities supposedly investigating a murder of a young villager are easily dissuaded from the following up their suspicions. The pathologist who accompanies Fernandez to the island is plied with rum by Alida, and after a veiled threat he agrees to write a fake coroner's report removing any hint of murder. Carlos who's been parceled off to the rural backwater by his superiors to get rid of him after a scandal, is shallow, vain, and lazy. As a criminal investigator, he simply doesn't measure up. He's far too busy amusing himself to change anything for the better. Nice. He's also a heel, an emotional lightweight who flees from his own tender feelings. After sex with Alita, he stays the night and the next day eats the breakfast she cooks for him. As she watches him eat, Alita waxes lyrical about the difference it makes to have a man about the house, only for Carlos to take advantage of her sister's sexual frustration and sneak off to have sex with her, too. The script's treatment of this man is deft and deceptively casual. His failure as a man goes hand-in-hand with the smallness of character. And Franco is careful not to use a sledgehammer to crack such a measly nut. After all, Sebastian warns Carla to stay away from Alita. The latter makes a pathetic attempt to comply with the couple. To comply when the couple meet next meet, I've never loved you. I've, I've I never missed you. I don't desire you either. He claims, which Alita, with him astride on the bed, I don't enjoy your sex. I've never liked it. 
When she pulls away and climbs off him, he protests, What the hell are you doing? Get going, come on. When she replies, You just said you don't like us, what's the point? He pulls her back, saying, Well, I don't dislike it either. Such is the relationship, a tired and vulnerable woman fighting off her cynicism and hoping to land a man, no matter how shallow, and a man whose ignorant disregard for women's feeling is a brittle protection against his own. Damn, damn it, why am I so emotional? I'm such a fool, he moans, as he feels a flicker of what passes for love. Alita's response to Carlos' interest in Maria is as casual as Franco's critique of it. Confronting Maria, she is placatory and phlegmatic. Alita's attitude to her vulnerable, mute sister combines fierce protectiveness with abuse. She thinks nothing of, mor- of mocking Maria's attraction to men, having murdered one of her sister's lovers when the two of them were living at a brothel. She explores her association with the region's crime kingpin Raoul and accepts his murderous criminality with cynicism and attachment. The only decent folk in the story are the elderly Leon Medeiros and his daughter Sylvia. She wants to marry Andy, a local hood, while her father tries quickly to, to while her father tries quickly to dissuade her, knowing she will defy him if he pushes too hard. Andy, meanwhile, is a handsome devil, but he's a fool with a dangerous void where his principles should be. What's more, he reveals after making love with Sylvia, he simply he's not simply a hired hand for Raul Sebastian, he's the gangster's son. Even Raul Sebastian is drawn with light and shade, a killer, a career criminal, and casually anti Semitic, he nevertheless genuinely loves his son. Interesting. Uh, it's interesting to speculate on the emotional tenor of this film and the way it might reflect Franco's state of mind at the time it was made. Let me see this second. Okay. Uh, it's interesting to the emotional tenor of the film and the way in which Franco's state of mind at the time was made. Just as file playing Casablanca had told the story of a middle-aged writer burdened by a sense of futility and despair, so too does Bahia Blanca features a lead character, in this case a middle-aged prostitute, struggling beneath the weight of wasted years, lost opportunities, and crushed expectations. The film begins with a rumative voiceover from Alida as she looks out over the bay, watching the ships that used to stop at her little bar, but now which sail past without stopping. Her words are fraught with weariness and fatalism. Sometimes I come to the pier as though I am curious about the world about me, but to be honest, there is nothing. I have no expectation as the boats sail past. Not even they mean anything to me. The light from the torch has been dying for a long time. The torch no longer attracts the sailors or the fishermen who used to come to my place to drink when they had finished their work. Most of their wages were spent on my love. I was willing enough. Now I am on my own. It is fanciful to imagine Franco has drawn upon his own feelings to write for Alita. After all, by the mid-80s, the ship had pretty much sailed for the kinds of films he preferred to make. The legalization of hardcore pornography in Spain had rendered obsolete his preferred brand of S-certificate, Erotica, and horror, his favorite film genre, was in recession around the world. As the powerhouse American mainstream dictated a shift from low-budget fear and anxiety to big-budget macho dramatics and blockbuster techno-dominance. Franco, 
while always keen to feed the flame of his own fevered fantasies. How many F's is that? Feed the flame of fevered fantasies. <laughs> Never mind that he was a commercial director looking to please the popular audience. A parallel to the art of the hooker would not, I suspect, have troubled him. I was willing enough. What may have been troubling him, however, was the realization that circumstances which brought his fantasy life into sync with audience tastes were breaking down. Worse still, the parting of the ways was gradually eroding his morale and motivation, leading to morbid backwards glances. Seen from this perspective as a sort of confession, the opening soliloquy also confesses a failure to engage with the world. Um, do, do, do. Something that had never seemed to trouble Franco before. His films are always entirely insular, subjective, summoning the world as of an erotic dreamer, a mind palace of fear and desire. Perhaps as the blessed synchronization between private fantasy and rude commerce began to fail, Franco had his gaze Franco had cast his gaze outward, looking for inspiration towards a different sort of cinema more engaged with reality. If so, Alita's remark indicates that the necessary allure simply wasn't there. Nevertheless, if Franco hasn't quite found the will to tell stories about the wider world, he has at least put aside the comfort, comfy slippers of genre pastiche in order, in favor of sincere emotional drama. Bahia Blanca and Foul Play in Casablanca were probably made within a few months of each other, and I find them too similar in their digression from the Franco norm to be accidental or casual. Both films speak of sleepless nights worrying about the value of one's creativity and the fate of one's youthful dreams. Amen. The central image, which reoccurs throughout the film, is of a small wooden boat with a puttering outboard motor, traversing the waters between the mainland and Deer Island. Over and over again we see it steering toward the small wooden jetty of the island or pulling into the slightly larger dock of the mainland village. Each time we see a different person standing at the poro silhouetted against the ocean. The first such sailor we see is Carlos Fernandez, then Rule Sebastian, then Andy Sebastian, and finally Silvia Maderos. In each case, the image uses geographical distance, the topological detachment of an island from the mainland, to imply the emotional gulfs and distances afflicting these characters. Carlos, who can't seem to admit to himself that he loves a woman. Raul, the father who masks his love for his son, even when confronted with the boy's dead body. Andy, for whom the gulf between his self-image as a tough guy and his nervous inexperience with women leads to rape and punishment. And finally, Sylvia, who suffers the loss of her lover and the death of her dreams of happiness. Standing upright at the prow of the boat, each of them in turn looking over the water, they all cut lonely, rather pathetic figures, assuming their postures of proud individualism as their impotent lives glide slowly into calmity. It's a striking image, too, because it adds something new to the lexicon of symbolism in Franco's treatment of the sea. In his fantastical films, the sea represents a boundary, a liminal space between one's realm and the other, like the hypnotic, like the hypnagogic state between wakefulness and sleep. And in the sex and horror pictures, the sea is an erotic symbol, 
hovering at the brink of pleasure slash dissolution. In Bahia Blanca, the sea becomes the medium of detachment, of separation, across which characters struggle to build relationships. Finally, the visual scheme leads to one of Franco's stone-cold classic images. A woman in a bridal dress, holding a rifle, standing erect in a small boat as it crosses the bay, an icon of vengeance painted in colors of hopelessness and loss. Bahia Blanca isn't perfect. It still has Franco's perennial pacing problems. It was obviously assembled quickly, and there were some puzzling eclipses here and there which suggest either missing footage or a failure to polish the script. Alita's threat to the pathologist comes out of nowhere. The unexpected arrival of a gang of sailors is puzzling after Alita has stated that ships don't come anymore. The fates of Sylvia and Carlos are left unclear. But these failings are mere grains of sand in the flowing water of the film's achievements. Films like this to engage when Franco was at such a low ebb is close to miraculous. As ever, one's, as ever, one's Franco mileage may vary, but for anyone attuned to his special talents, Bahia Blanca is a film to cherish. That's very nice. All right, Franco on screen. Franco plays the village doom. Franco plays the village doom monger with quiet dignity. In contrast to the loopy, apocalyptic charlatan he played in 73's Kiss Me Killer, he also dubs Juan Salar's character, the pathologist Ramiro Sarmento. Lina Romay dubs Analia Ivar's character, Sylvia Leon. Interesting. Uh, though, quite, though used quite heavily, some might say relentlessly, Julian Sacristan's moody and emotional theme tune will resonate in your mind for days afterwards. It's so wedded to the film that it's impossible to say where the power of the music ends and the power of the drama begins, which is great scoring. Sacristan had been a prolific recording artist in the 60s when he fronted two groups playing British-influenced pop, I'm sorry, beat pop and American-style rock and roll. His bands were Los Flaps, with which he recorded between 1962 and 1965, and Los Flecos, from 65 to 66. He was lead guitarist in both these bands, playing the Fender Stratocaster, with a sound that bore the unmistakable influence of Hank Marvin of the Shadows. So Christian remains active in music to the present day, and as a longtime resident of Alicante, has performed regular concerts with reformed versions of his old bands, um, at the Castillo de Santa Barbara, and which is, of course, the location of the prison in 99 Women, the castle in Dracula's Prisoner Frankenstein, and the dwelling of Refurge of the House of Usher. All right, uh, location, Lopagan, in the province of Morca. The rocks and the inconfessible orgies of Emmanuel, upon which Emmanuel was raped, reappear here as the private coastal hideaway where Alida and Maria sunbathe together. Connection. Like El Otro Lado de Espejo, 1973, the story climaxes with a young woman... That's the other side of the mirror. Uh, the story climaxes with a young woman dressed in a wedding gown, overwhelmed by a personal tragedy. That's the other side of the mirror. is one of my favorite Franco films. Uh, the relationship between Lino Romay's traumatized mute Maria and Eva Leon's sexually voracious Alida recalls a similar dynamic in The Hot Nights of Linda, 1973, in which Romay played the sexually active sister. Both films climax with the mute character's suicide after his sister's betrayal. 
uh, Hot Nights of Linda, it's sexual betrayal, and Bahia Blanca, it's emotional betrayal. According to Franco scholar Robert Monell, Bahia Blanca was conceived by Franco as a conscious homage to such classic westerns as Nicholas Ray's Johnny Guitar. All right, so that's the written text on Bahia Blanca. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm going to probably do this one with at least one co-reviewer. I might, if I watch it more than one time, I might have like two reviewers in two different tape segments or just one reviewer. So hang out, pass the bumper, and you'll hear what we have because I'm recording this uh, quite a time before I watch it and record the review. So sometimes you do those things in different sections. Um, I like to kind of record like two or three openings together. So then when I do the reviews, I can edit together two or three episodes um, that way and kind of knock some stuff out instead of just doing one at a time. It's easier on the schedule and so on and so forth. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and hit some plugs because I didn't really do that in the first half of the last episode. So, uh, let's see. Of course, subscribe to the podcast if you dig the show. We have new episodes every Wednesday morning that drop at 1 a.m. Pacific time. So, uh, go ahead and do that. Um... Let's see, please share the show. If you dig the show, please tell everyone about it. Of course, uh, we're on all your favorite listening platforms. Um, and, uh, you know, we're all out there. So if you dig the show, tell everyone about it. Uh, let's see, I didn't have my notes with me today. That's funny. Oh, here we go. Okay, good. All right, like I said, download. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Google, Radio Public. We're on all your favorite, favorite platforms. If you dig the show and you want to help me out, there's a donation button, either one-time or reoccurring. Uh, right now we got one person that's been taking care of Franco Podcast for the last year, and I thank you, uh, anonymous donor. That's really cool. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to join that person, donate a dollar, donate five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you want to donate, I'll always appreciate it. Because, uh, you know, I do this every week for free, and if you dig it, and if you subscribe, and it's part of your life, and you want to throw me a little gift, nothing wrong with that. Uh, like I said before, download and subscribe. Uh, subscribe to the show if you dig it subscribe to it and it'll always be there for you every Wednesday morning uh, tell a friend tell everybody about it tell about Desperate Visions tell about the show tell about Lady Hyde uh, all that stuff makes people watch it makes draws people to me and that helps me out uh, financially a little teeny bit since on the downloads but hey it all adds up uh, if you want to reach out to me you can via email at francoobserver at yahoo.com once again, Franco Observer at yahoo.com. Uh, we also have pages, Franco Observer podcast pages on Facebook and Instagram. You can add us there and uh, check on the daily or weekly news that I put on both those pages. So, all right. Got that out of the way. Feels good. So, oh, so yeah. Good. Nice little longer opening. Usually about 20 minute opening. This is about a 25, 26 minute opening. So, Got a few more little things. I think this might be a longer episode. So, you know, as you look through the libraries now of up to 130 shit, one episodes, you'll see that, uh, you know, you generally they're between close to an hour, maybe an hour and a half. This one should be one of the longer ones, maybe an hour and a half or so. Depends on who we have talking and uh, situation and what, so, and how many co-reviewers um, we have for this episode. So, good. All right. Well, Hang out past the brink, and uh, you'll hear myself and maybe some numerous people. And uh, hang out, and you'll be surprised.
All right. Maha. All right, we are back with the review portion of Film 136 on this special episode 131. And today I am joined by another a first-time a Franco viewer, and uh, I think maybe now a Franco fan? Yes! All right. <laughs> uh, today I have Miss Teresa Plaza. She's a friend of mine and actress in the latest film, she knows Ferratu, and uh, also a model that I had a really good photo shoot with, and uh, you'll be seeing her in uh, a lot of pictures, and uh, be on the lookout for her. So uh, I want to say thank you, Teresa, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool that you came out here and uh, enjoyed your snacks as you were watching the <laughs> Jess Franco film. Yes. Yeah, it's always good to have uh, little munchies to watch the show and enjoy it, so... Um, Okay, before we talk about the film, I'm gonna. Uh, this is your first Franco film. Um, what did you think of the film, just in general? It was definitely a very new experience for me. I wasn't familiar with any of Jess Franco's movies prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew about him because you've talked about him to me before. And the only thing, other than the fact that Christopher Lee was in one of his Dracula his yeah Dracula he's movie? in uh, Dracula correct. yeah yeah um, besides that the only other thing I knew was from Wikipedia which was his birthday is the same as mine yeah except obviously not the year <laughs> yeah most definitely <laughs> I, I would probably be dead by now yeah <laughs> but um, but yeah the movie was uh like a lot of fun and it was definitely not what I'm used to because I, I'm used to a lot of modern movies so watching something uh, like especially a foreign film uh, from like a past decade yeah, yeah. and you know it was, it was very different just like the the sound editing um, the cinematography um, just the pacing in general because I noticed you know with movies these days everything's very fast-paced uh, quick editing yeah. just to keep everybody on their toes and um, there's always like a specific formula that uh, a lot of movies these days follow especially because um, uh, like with every, they all want their movies to be like blockbusters and whatnot. Um, so watching this movie, uh, it was very different because just the elements of the story, as well as uh, the filmmaking process, visually and aesthetically of the movie, it was very different for me. So it was a a really nice uh, twist for me <laughs> compared to what I normally would watch. Um, I also don't really have much exposure to adult style movies where um you know there's boobies everywhere right, right. so it was it was a lot of fun and um I also liked how it was there was a lot of empathy for the characters um yeah. and it wasn't just a gratuitous um hypersexual romp that I was anticipating it was just very like there was a bit of a male gaze, but there was admiration and power to a lot of these uh, female characters in his movie or this movie that we were watching. And I also enjoyed like the, the revenge and the murder and the, and 
just like the sexiness of it all like the the different aspects were a lot of fun sorry my nose is ready right now <laughs> <laughs> no it's cool you actually you really threw a lot into that so i'm going to take some of what you said and mm-hmm. break it down into into sections uh first of all the pacing yeah that was something i was going to talk to you about is the pacing of this was very slow which makes sense because life is slow on that island everybody's mm-hmm. relaxed they mm-hmm. take the boat out to the island they're not speeding real fast they're just going mm-hmm. everything's at a certain rhythm it's like you know the best day fishing or you know the worst day fishing is is better than the best day working or that yeah. bullshit thing you know? I, I liked how with like the pacing also it, was, it just seemed like they they can just casually just lounge about on the island with like no shirts no bras or anything like that you know just titties hanging out well if you're alone <laughs> i know it's great yeah because i know for me like i don't even think about that in my day-to-day life like right. just even on like a casual relaxed day i don't lounge around like that so for me just seeing that that was i i really liked that there's like something yeah. really erotic about it totally but even though it was just wholesome and casual and it wasn't changing or affecting the storyline. No, it was just, very natural. Yeah. It seemed like it belonged there. And it wasn't yeah. there it was to show. Like, and aesthetically, it was, it was just really pleasing to the eyes, yeah. aesthetically. No, what I like, too, is, uh, yeah, first of all, like the pacing is just everything. It's slow, but it's not slow in a negative way. It just takes its time in a good way. It, it lays everything out. Even, and obviously, right off the bat, honest with you, like, I was the very last shot of the film. I was confused because I didn't realize that it opens and ends in the same fashion. So I thought it didn't go in that direction. But then I realized in the beginning she was thinking back to what happened, and then that was the aftermath in the beginning, which I like when things come full circle like that, and, and it, mm-hmm. it, it completes the completes the thing. Just almost like the sun. Sun goes up, sun goes down. This mm-hmm. is the whole lapse. It starts at the top, works its way around the wheel, and it ends mm-hmm. in the same place. So that was a nice like. And, and the way this film's put together is just so beautiful mm-hmm. all the shots the pacing the editing um the acting's really good um even lena who has no dialogue as a mute she's like really good and mm-hmm. the scene where she hears them and she's crying and she's like going through everything and you really feel for her and uh and it was interesting because by this time lena romay is getting a little older and she's getting a little soft in her body and so like franco puts her as a, a pregnant woman and uh which is funny because it's just like okay well i guess you know but i don't know if you really want to do that but but that's part of the story so mm-hmm. i guess it was his, his his way to do it but um no it was uh i like this blu-ray from severin the colors are really pretty um i liked the bright blues of the sky and and the red of her shirt and mm-hmm. all these the way he uses his colors opposite of each other they really stood out mm-hmm. um even the whites and the greens and the blues and it's a very beautiful color palette um mm-hmm. and uh Except the music. I wish there was a lot of variety, but I liked that there was just that one theme song of the mm-hmm. woman singing, like, plays all the way through, even though the With woman's her not... fake guitar playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I liked about... Um, what's her name? Lena Romay? Lena Romay. Yeah. yeah. One thing I liked about her character being pregnant is that there was an definitely, like, an erotic aspect to it. Um, like, she was still desired and sexualized. Because usually, you know, when when a woman's pregnant people kind of just view the right. woman as being pregnant and then after she gives birth and she's a mom and then you know we, we always have that the ideas of like you know mom bods and things like that and so like i feel like it was kind of ahead of its time in a way with yeah. you know viewing the woman like the mother still as very sexual and desirable because yeah i feel like 
that's something normal now, but you know, back then it right. definitely seemed like Yeah, now yeah. they do it as like um female empowerment or they yeah, call it something. Female, but it's yeah. just like here it's just like, okay, these are these two sisters and the older sister is protecting the younger one and, mm-hmm. and she's strong and she has to put up through all this thing mm-hmm. but and she's maybe evil or she has her downfalls or her shortcomings but in the end you, t- you, you know she's doing it to protect her sister mm-hmm. but you don't know if she's robbing her sister of life by keeping her in this bubble mm-hmm. or whether she should go out to explore so there's that really good dynamic between another thing there's a lot of good dynamic between so many characters mm-hmm. like just us talking right now we have the, the two sisters mm-hmm. then you have the father and the son of the gangster and then you have the, the bride and her dad and then mm-hmm. you have Jess Franco's character and that old man they don't like each other mm-hmm. then you have the sheriff it's kind of walking the line between the gangster and his prostitute girl. And mm-hmm. then you have like, you know, uh, and then his cronies, the the gangster guy's cronies dealing with the son and the, mm-hmm. the thing and controlling the town. And there's a really good dynamic with everybody. Everybody plays their part and everybody means something. So there's really not a lot of throwaway people in this, you know? Yeah. I, I also feel with, um, with all the character dynamics, it was definitely, there's a definitely a lot of, uh, duality and polarity going Big on, time, yeah. and not only that, but you could actually even see it with how the movie was uh, filmed itself. Like in the opening and ending scenes, like it, it starts off at the dock in the in the bay, right. and you can see um, I forgot her name. Um, the lady who plays Alita. Alita. Um, Ava Leon. Yeah, Ava Leon. Um, pardon me if I butcher her name the pronunciation but yeah you see her on that dock in the beginning and you see her you know standing on the dock but you also see her reflection in the water below so in a way it's i guess you could say symbolic of the duality and complexity of her character and then um and then you kind of see that opening scene kind of like bookend the movie at the very end because it's you know has that same thing going on so yeah it's i don't know yeah there's just like a lot of yeah and it's cool the 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 first speech of her in the beginning where she's walking on the pier and Mm -hmm. and she has the limp and the cane and you see her as an isolated person and she's lonely she's by herself and and a pier can go nowhere Mm -hmm. the pier stops and that's like her life. She can't mm-hmm. go past that pier. Yeah. If she goes past the pier, she goes in the water and dies. Yeah. So she's almost being on that pier is like she's on she's stuck on this little place. Same with the island. She's kind of stuck on that island in her life. Mm-hmm. She's kind of stuck in a holding pattern. Um she wants to advance her life and find love and and go off and do her own thing, but she's kind of like this is her lot in life. She's almost like a station agent. This is her station life mm-hmm. and she has to be right here and not go forward or backwards but just stay in this one place in life mm-hmm. and that's a lot of the, like we talked about the duality and stuff with this is there's a lot of these people every every person has their place and they can't go further or down um even uh mr sebastian mm-hmm. he he has the thing where he's he's the top and he's the guy that runs all the shit but he can't go any higher he's already the strongest he can be mm-hmm. and then he has a tragedy happens to his life and stuff and then it affects him as well so you see that even though you think you're untouchable or that you have all these things around you that can do things for you you're still going to fail and you're still going to be mm-hmm. taken out even if you have no control over that mm-hmm. but uh, yeah i definitely like that mm-hmm. another character that i thought was interesting with the whole duality ex- uh, situation going on was uh i forgot his name but the he was sheriff the, the boyfriend oh the uh the Andy? gangster's son, was yeah. It Andy? Um, 
That was Jose Lamas. Yeah, plays Andy, Andy Sebastian. Yes, so that guy who is the the son of Mr. Sebastian of Mr. Sebastian, um, like the daughter of uh, the old man. Yeah, like um, like she thinks he's like this wholesome, you know, Prince Charming type of guy, and that they're gonna go run off and get married. But her her pops doesn't like him because she thinks he's a bad boy who you know works for the, the gangster, gang, yeah. the gangsters and whatnot. Um, and then you see what his life is like within that lifestyle when she's not around. And, you know, he's pretty sleazy and uh, the things they talk about, the things they do. And then not, e- not only that, but um, he has uh, this uh, – he has this uh, fic- the sexual fixation on uh, – what's her name? Lena? Lena's character, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on Lena's character. And, you know, there's there are multiple times where he attempted to – sexually assault her so it was pretty interesting to see um the duality in his character but another thing i liked about i wouldn't say i like i don't like sexual assault but um, the scene where he's gonna one of the scenes where he tries to sexually assault lena's character it's funny yeah he's like trying to bite her and whatnot it's like the only cock in that scene was when uh eva leon comes out of nowhere and with a gun so it's yeah. pretty interesting uh where you know the power dynamics uh go um in this movie because he he definitely you know makes sure that the women are strong and empowered and you know even though there's definitely like we're looking at the movie through the lens of the of the male gaze at the same time you know the women have power and are strong and you know they're complicated they're not one-dimensional right um characters that are just there while the men are romping around you know the women contribute heavily to the storylines and whatnot besides you know looking sexy and having you know great asses and big bouncy titties <laughs> yeah yeah no i know that's one thing you mentioned a lot um no that, that and that's a really good point because all the men in here are flawed you have the sheriff who is corrupt mm-hmm. you have the um examiner who comes to the island to try to do the autopsy and he's kind of told what to write because it's the way the island and you have to kind of go forth with everything the only person that's not corrupt is uh, is uh, just franco's character and the father uh of the girl because franco's more like a sightseer or like a wizard or something he kind of like tells healer. people yeah healer he he says hey i i read the coffee grounds t- in this morning and I could see that you know you're going to have problems in your future and, and this and that people think he's just a kooky old man and he's crazy and stuff but he's the one that it tells the truth and, and he could see see things that are about to happen and then of course the father of the girl is, is fine even though he he is kind of corrupt because that's his little girl and he doesn't want to see her flawed but he knows that if she goes in that direction that her life's going to get ruined and it does you know um, but yeah like the the sheriff's corrupt the gang leader's corrupt. All his crew are corrupt. The kid Andy's corrupt. He's two timing and all his other bullshit and stuff. So, you, you definitely have the all all the men are flawed and 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 the women are are the, the actual anchor and, and the strength of the island. You know, uh, even Lena and and um, Anelia Avars. Um, but yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no. It's uh, one thing I like too um, is uh, uh, visually on this is all the natural light he uses. He shoots a lot of really beautiful scene this film was a really beautiful setup and, and you think about it it's, it's really basic like he just shot on this island there's uh the bar 
Mm-hmm. There's uh, Mr. Sebastian's place. There's the dock and the the hills and stuff, but and then the water and stuff. But that's that's really all there is. There's not a lot of like you talk about modern movies. They're not jet setting to all these islands mm-hmm. and going here and going there and all this stuff. It's just takes place in this thing and mm-hmm. this is the characters this is the place and this is how it's going to unfold and you just watch it go through and stuff and yeah and and it's like you're it's like you're at the island and anything that shows any type of traveling it's like you're seeing boats from a distance like yeah. you're you're never like within the boat traveling unless you see like a character trying to like no you're travel right around the yeah boat. you always see them approaching you yeah. you're not in the camera the camera's not in the boat seeing mm-hmm. you're not seeing their POV, you're seeing the woman of the island or, or the island's point of view of the mm-hmm. people approaching them. And also, too, they talk about the distance. In this film, everybody's distant from mm-hmm. each other. There's always that distance between people. And in this film, there's the distance between the boats getting to the island and mm-hmm. always the, the amount of space. And certain boats are closer than others. And when they finally... So it's almost like people. Like when a, a person enters into your life, then you bring them in and you get closer to them and, and you get to know them or whatever this and that or there's other people that will come to your life and you quickly reject them away or, or they don't get as close to you as other people are and with this it's like letting certain people get closer to you like the sheriff and then when you let the wrong person get close to you it, it ruins certain things and stuff so you have to be really careful as your own island is yourself and upon he, he onto himself is an island it's like the old expression so mm-hmm. it's like they are the island, the, the two women, the island unto themselves. That's their life. That's their their whole thing. And, and nobody's going to come between them, too, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was uh, really, really cool. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go through. Um, it takes a long time for the first nudity to come in on this. You see Lena's boobs about 24 seconds in, the big poncho. I didn't really count the butt cheek flash mm. as the first nudity. I counted, like, Lena's boobs. Um, but uh, usually Franco will have nudity in, like, the first... 10 seconds of the film or 20 seconds so it's kind of funny as he's doing these later films like this is film 136 by this time so he's 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 already made 136 films which is pretty crazy um and uh um like i said i I liked all the natural light stuff i liked uh the outside all the lamps the lanterns the light coming through the the doorways also two doorways is very important in this uh he talks about how He's talking to Andy, one of the guys, the gangster guy, and he says, well, um, if, or I think it's his dad or something, he says, well, if a woman turns her back on you and doesn't allow the doors of pleasure, you go to somewhere else and open the doors of pleasure to you. So they show the woman and framed in the doorways when she's coming in, and she's always framed in the door, and they use doorways a lot in this film as like those types of um, uh, symbolic things, as they say as well, you know, the doors of pleasure, the doors of pleasure, the whorehouse the doors of the pleasure into the heart, the doors of pleasure into the guy's mansion and his own little paradise and everything. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, another thing too, that I caught as a filmmaker to get something across. So Lena, this is supposed to be mute and you don't know if they say she's mentally retarded or if she's mute or what they, they have varying degrees of, of her condition. But as a filmmaker, it's interesting if you put somebody in a bed with a few baby dolls and just have them kind of look blankly, that is a really good production thing of it gets that mood across really quick. And just looking at that, you can see, oh, there's something off about her or there's something wrong with her. So showing something like that is a really cheap way of doing that. And it's a, it's a, a smart trick of like getting that across without having to 
hit somebody over the head with it, you know, mm-hmm. have her act stupid or mm-hmm. making noises or whatever dumb stuff, you know. Another, um, another yeah. thing I liked about her character was um, she seemed like she was like the pure one compared to uh, her sister, Alita, played by Ava Leon. Yeah. And um, not only that, but like, you know, we as we talked earlier we were saying how she was pregnant, like her character's pregnant. Yeah. But throughout the movie, like you, you're never disclosed who the father is and, you know, her being kind of like wholesome and innocent and pure, even though, you know, you do see her, her titties and ass here and there. Like in a way it was really interesting because also her name is Maria. So the, something I picked up yeah. was like, I felt like it was kind of like a nod to like the Virgin Mary in a way, especially because, we never saw her, you know, get knocked up or, right. you know, do anything remotely sexual. And she was pretty much, yeah, just this very pure person uh, who's, you know, isolated on this uh, island with her sister. And, yeah, she was just, yeah. I yeah. felt like she was a symbolic character, kind of like a martyr in a way. And it is very true because if you think about it, it is the martyr because in the beginning the body is found. And obviously that's the person that knocked up yeah. Lena. And it's almost like the body of Christ. Like mm-hmm. it's the guys, and he, and he said he had marks on him, like he was a martyr, like he was whipped or flayed mm-hmm. or something. He had all these marks on him. He said, and it's not from being in the water. And so they mentioned that he was, and then also shot in the head. You know, mm-hmm. he said that they found a bullet in the brain, and he had marks on his body, so it's almost like he was flailed or, or mm-hmm. whatever. So that's interesting too. Of like, like you're saying the Virgin Mary of being the Immaculate Conception, and with this, it's like you don't see the guy. You hear about him, mm-hmm. and you know, but you don't physically see his body. You don't mm-hmm. see a face. You don't see nothing. So you don't know who 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 the guy is, you know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if it's Antonio Mayans, the sheriff, or if it's whoever it is that hit or knocked her up. You're trying to figure it out as it goes along. Mm-hmm. And the sister knows, but obviously, you know, she doesn't let that out. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, speaking yeah. of the sister, yeah, yeah, wasn't she the one that killed the guy? Yeah. Yeah, I I really liked how. Um, she was a murderer, but she was so good at covering it up. But also, she was doing it with the sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> so he was kind of, you know, helping her out and letting her, like, letting things slide, especially with, like, her little whorehouse thing that she got going on with her bar. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, but also, at the same time, it was kind of sad because you, you couldn't really know who to trust. Um as the audience member or as an audience watching, you know, the movie, because these characters were all flawed. Um, and even though the, the women were like the anchors of the film, uh, Alita, who is played by Ava Leon, like her character was very complicated. And it seemed like her character assumed a lot of different personas. Like she would put on wigs, take off wigs, wear different outfits. And it was like she became whoever she needed to become. Um, around whatever company she was around. And weren't we talking about earlier how she, like, her happiness, or was it in the movie? I can't remember who said it, if it was you or if it was um, a character in the movie, but they're saying, like, her happiness, like, depends on the people she's around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think think they mentioned that movie, like, how about, you know, she's, when people come there and Mm -hmm. she's happy, and even in the beginning she says, hey, you know, I've been on the a long time. Men used to come here all the time and mm-hmm. stuff. But now as I'm getting older and I don't look the way I used to look, mm-hmm. men kind of go by the island. They don't stop like they used to and, and stuff. So she always feels like – and also, too, Franco at this time had made so many movies. And now things are kind of passing him by and he's kind of looking back going, well, you know, I was really popular and I was really this and that and stuff. But now I'm old and I've done my thing. Mm-hmm. And 
people have seen what I do and they don't really care about me anymore and stuff. So yeah. that type of resentment is always a good type of, as a viewer, I, I like those type of characters where mm-hmm. they've kind of still have something to give, but they, but they're not sure if people want it anymore. And, and mm-hmm. that was like her whole thing, you know? And, and yeah, that's a good thing that you mentioned is, yeah. is her putting on the appearances and changing her facade to who is there to try to make herself and other people happy, you know? Yeah. Something I liked that she did, um, was that when she was getting ready, she pinched her nipples. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, well, to me, um, I, I barely ever see anyone pinch their nipples uh, to get ready to, you know, right. look good for other people. So that was a good little tip and but trick. That, that's a good thing because sometimes they'll pinch their cheeks to get the yeah. red out and pinch your nipples and yeah. wipe so your teeth I, off. I or like something. that because um, I've never pinched my nipples. <laughs> before so maybe I should start doing that when yeah. I'm about to like go on a date or whatever but yeah I just thought it was interesting um uh, to be honest I already forgot what <laughs> you're, you're fascinated with pinching <laughs> your nipples <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about <laughs> pinching nipples um okay let's 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 talk about something else that I think you're going to do after this is buy a wig like that wait what one thing I think you're going to do after this is a uh, is a, a buy a wig like hers. Uh, I don't know if I would go with that style or that color. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't think blonde is my color, but I am wearing a wig right now. Oh, there um, you go. And I wear I wore a wig in our shoot as right. well as when I filmed my scene with you for She Knows Feratu. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I really did. I didn't like the wig on her. I felt like she would have been. It would have been better if it was red, not blonde. But I did like the costume aspect um because like for me um i like the idea of creating a fantasy for not 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 only for the character to create a fantasy for the other characters but also for the audience itself um and and for her too i think yeah Yeah, yeah. and for her too like i guess to in a way to also escape the reality of life and yeah and just day-to-day like, stuff yeah just how monotone everything is in her life so it was interesting to see the wigs and the different personas that she uh portrayed and also just the fact that you know she was a fucking killer yeah. but also she could be a very caring person that looked after her sister uh but also a very emotionally manipulative person who looked after her sister. Yeah, yeah, and, and controlled her how she wanted her to live her yeah, life. Yeah, so it was just very interesting. Like, her character was very complex. Like, to be honest, for me, it took me almost half of the movie to start liking her because her character is so complicated and so contradicting. Uh, so if you if you like that kind of character development where you just got to... Like, with the pacing of the movie, since it's slow, like, if you if you're somebody who enjoys... Uh, that kind of character development, or not even necessarily necessarily develop character development, but if you just like watching, like studying the character and watching the different layers of them like unravel as yeah. the movie progresses, I, I I really like that, and I think other people would like that too. Yeah, that, that's a really good point because at first, like you say, she she puts herself out there, then as it goes through, you start to see the things she goes through and mm-hmm. what makes her the way she is and why she is the way she is and, and everything that transpires around her. So mm-hmm. it makes the whole thing in the end mean something. Um, but speaking of the characters, one thing you were mentioned to me when you were watching it is that, uh, I don't know if it still was, but probably through the movie, your favorite character was uh, a Jess Franco's character. You liked him. Yeah. I, like, I don't know. I just like those type of characters that 
I feel like they they just kind of walk in the between the lines of the story, yeah. between the lines of the characters. Like they're not, they don't really have um, a, a, a specific space within the story or anything. They're just kind of there, yeah. kind of serving as a bridge and serving as um, kind of like hints for different aspects of the stories or different aspects of the characters. Um, so I, I just felt like he was a, a very fun character because he literally was, was a wizard, I guess you could say, not just as a character, but for the audience um, while you watch the movie. Um, I don't know. I just really like characters where um, it doesn't feel necessarily like the 3D world. I feel like, you know, his character was very spiritual, if yeah. anything. He was more of like the 5D, you know, so yeah. he's like a different multiverse uh, within the movie, um, dropping hints uh, and little Easter eggs uh, for what's going to happen next and kind of foreshadowing uh, different things with the characters and the story so i really like that about him and uh not only that but um i kind of liked it as well especially me being like a first time viewer it kind of reminded me of like how alfred hitchcock kind of like has little cameos in his own movies or even like in marvel movies where you see like stanley back in the day (laughs) went went rest in peace when he would um you know, have little spots right, in little, the Marvel movies yeah, here and there. The mailman or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. I, I really enjoyed that aspect as well. So as like just to see that as uh, like with the filmmaker doing that, getting involved with the the movies. You've done that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I, I saw um, what is it called? Ma- Emmanuel in, in Sin, Sin City. City. Yeah, because yeah, you got killed. In yeah, the movie. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always, always try to get killed as much as I can. Yeah, and it's funny too because like Franco, as as I'm sitting here listening to you talk about this. I was kind of thinking, that's one thing I like to do about this podcast is as we talk, you start unraveling things in your brain. Like, oh, I realize that, and blah, blah, blah. Like, Frank was really cool in this because, like, he comes across to the father and he goes, I know you don't like me, you know, but I got to tell you this and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, right then, he knows his place. He knows, hey, this old man doesn't like me. I'm not going to do this and that and stuff. So he knows he's not unaware of people's views of him, but he respects him enough to say, hey, this is what's going on. And he stays on, like you're saying, stays on his place and his thing, but he doesn't have any connection to anybody. He's his own person. He's not corrupt. He's not bought. He's not sold. He's a truthful person. And and he puts out what he sees and says, and it doesn't affect him either way, good or bad. He just, this is what it is. It's almost like he's telling the news Mm -hmm. at this time, this is going to happen, or this is going to happen, or I see this. And people, oh, you don't know what stuff, because... They don't understand that, mm-hmm. so whatever you don't understand, you mock and you make fun of. And that's how people are. Yeah. So and that's almost like the the society look on him as well. Yeah. And the, the the other thing I like about that is the fact that all the corruption that was happening on the island, even though he observed so much and gave so much insight to a lot of the characters, nothing ever came to him. No. It was like his karma was clean in a way. Yeah, <laughs> you know? so yeah. I thought that was really interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, because. Everybody was getting, you know, their asses handed back to them (laughs) in some way, shape, or form by another character. And there was him, uh, you know, he was just like, eh, whatever, like just casually letting people know and, you know, just mic dropping all over the place. And, uh, yeah, nobody did anything. Everyone was just like, oh, yeah, he's crazy. Like, don't F with him. He's crazy. He's a weird guy. (laughs) Plus, also, too, as I'm sitting here thinking, 
he's very like you were saying he's very slow and very languid just like the film is mm-hmm. he's almost the heartbeat of the thing his pace and his rhythm is the is the rhythm of the film and the mm-hmm. slowness of the film and the pace of the film so it's just like the slow languid life of stuff you know and it's funny because there's a you see a tv sitting on the bar and you could see the reflection of the cameraman or somebody smoking in the background of the tv but then as i was watching that tv it was turned off and i was thinking and i even said it to you when we were watching this i was like it's interesting they have a tv at the bar like there might not be any TV stations on that island, or mm-hmm. who knows if there's any kind of a thing they can use on the TV, but a TV's like a connection to the outside world, mm-hmm. but the TV's off, so there's no connection to the outside world. And that's kind of an interesting way to look at it, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things with Franco films, you see them there in there, and, and you don't pay attention to it, but if you sit there and analyze it or talk about it, you're like, oh, okay, there's this and there's this, and it all means something, so it's kind of cool, you know. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Sylvia? that character the bride yeah yeah she's <sighs> i had like i had a very complicated relationship with that character yeah she's very naive but you know but you have to look at it too from her point of view mm-hmm. i mean she's she was a virgin mm-hmm. is her first love um i like the scene where she's laying in bed with the guy mm-hmm. and they're talking about things because um i'm gonna go about my thing but like i've been in those situations where you're in bed with somebody and they're talking about it's safe they're maybe not as experienced as you or whatever and they're bringing up your past mm-hmm. things that you did and stuff and he's just kind of like mm, you know da, 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 da. and she's like oh blah, 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 blah. and to him it was so important that she was he was his he was her first mm-hmm. but he's had many relations with other women mm-hmm. and, and she's oh well did it come into this and, yeah and she's like <laughs> reaching to that and he's just kind of out there so I liked that scene a lot that was very truthful that, yeah. that rang true for me and, and I liked her thing where and and, I, and also too, you think about like I don't know about you, but for me, like the first few loves are like really strong, and mm-hmm. they'll almost ruin your life. Like when I was fifteen, I was going to marry this girl because I was like, oh, I love her, and mm-hmm. she's going to move away. And mm-hmm. and my dad's like, No, you're not going to do that. And I am so thankful my dad's, <laughs> you know, slap the shit, not slap shit. I mean, but mentally, like, hey, dude, don't throw your life away. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Like those first early loves are so make or break, and that's something where these other characters are so much older and mm-hmm. they've already been through it a thousand times. This is like so new and raw to her. All mm-hmm. of her all of her nerves are on edge and raw and everything she's mm-hmm. experiencing is so truthful and, and so strong where mm-hmm. she goes so far in her quest to make things right in her opinion. You know? mm-hmm. Which is weird because she shoots them and then you don't know what happens to her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> does she leave? Does she get arrested? Does she, I mean, who knows, you know? I, like, I don't know. The, the way I felt... Um, towards the end, because like she annoyed me for the majority of the movie, yeah. I could understand why. Even though I've definitely acted like her when I was younger, right. yeah, everybody has. <laughs> um, yeah. But the way I viewed her towards the end of the movie, like after she sees that her fiance is dead, to me, and like she and she was like, you know, starting to wear the the wedding dress and starting to see visions of him. To me, I felt like she already died. Yeah. Her, as as well so i feel like okay when she went on her little revenge mission like she was already like she's wearing a white wedding dress right interpret that however you will uh, sort of being pure or whatever right but she also had her face was really effing white like, yeah yeah she had like was, cake makeup on yeah it was, totally it was like, like white ghost. face <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> yeah so to me i felt like she was they, a ghost yeah. yeah she was like a ghost in a way and you know she she went did her thing shot at people to get her revenge and then poof she's gone she disappeared so for me i feel like that was her storyline that yeah. she was 
you know, she died when her her man died and she became a ghost, got her revenge, and she's gone, and that's it. And it's interesting, too, because um, Ava Leone had just the one kind of big fucking gun. I don't know what kind of gun it was, but it was like a big silver fucking gun and was ready to shoot people. Mm-hmm. And then the other bride... The other one had the gun, and she had a fucking scope on it where she was very precise of who she wants to kill compared to the other woman just using the gun to kill whoever she wants. And she's more like, I'm going to target this person and kill him and target that person and kill him, mm-hmm. even though she doesn't – I don't know who she kills. But I think she probably does kill the sheriff when she shoots him. Spoiler alert. But yeah. yeah but, In uh, a way, uh, it was like Kill Bill. <laughs> exactly. The bride. The bride with the gun. Yeah, trying to kill everybody. All these hookers. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And all the corrupt motherfuckers. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Um, let's see what else I like about this. Oh, yeah. The, the cinematography in this was so beautiful. Just some of the shots of the person really small and the huge sky and then the mm-hmm. sea and just everything, just the layers and the, the like I said before, all the natural light and, and just the, the, the rhythm and the pace. And mm-hmm. to me, it was slow, but it wasn't slow in a negative way. It just, it, 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 it kept moving along. It was like, it's like you're in a car and you're just driving really slow. You're not stopping, but you're just driving really slow. Mm-hmm. Some some movies start and stop, or they go a little bit and stop, and you're like, oh, and it goes a little bit. This just kept moving slowly. It doesn't roll fast. Mm-hmm. Just it just goes all the way through. You know, which I thought was pretty cool. So, mm-hmm. um, let's see what else I want to say. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. Um, let's see. This was made in 1984. Uh, by this time, he had already kind of gone through some. Um, uh, introspective films with this and this is a, a good thing about uh, looking oh there's another thing I was going to bring up too that I forgot to say so um, I read in this that the main character um, Ava Leone she's actually dubbed by Lena Romay so that's Lena Romay's voice over what that why <laughs> I don't know just because it was and Jess Franco is voices one of the other characters I think uh the kid Andy I think or, or somebody I'll have to look back and read that stuff but I thought that was kind of interesting because how Foul Play in Casablanca was about the older man looking over his life and looking at regrets and, and how things gone by this is about a woman and they had Lena do the voiceover or do the dubbing for her so it was almost mm-hmm. like that film was Franco's and this film was Lena's now from the female point of view of going through mm-hmm. things and looking at your life and all that stuff so it was interesting that they chose her to do that I don't know if it's because he liked her voice or what, mm-hmm. but and it's interesting too because Lena didn't talk, so mm-hmm. it does make sense to have Lena dub her if he didn't like her voice or whatever. Because you don't know Lena's voice in the film because she just makes <clears throat> that's all she mm-hmm. does. So it's like by her doing the voice. Wait, so question? Tell, yeah. So Eva Leon, the entire time that was Lena's voice. I believe so. I have to go through these notes after we wrap oh. and, and go through and see. But yeah, I, I read that that Lena oh. dubs her in this film. Okay. Yeah, I might make a different spin on it, so, you know. That's but that's the cool thing. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know what's interesting now that you say that? It's interesting to me because the movie kept talking about, like, the what is it, like a cave with the sirens? Yeah, that's so, what's the island of the sirens, the two sisters. Yeah, and so uh, that was just interesting because when you think of, like, the Little Mermaid yeah. <laughs> and things like that, you know, with the voice uh, and Ursula and all that Good, good stuff. <laughs> Which I always like the old Greek thing about the sirens who would lure men in the mm-hmm. sea off off into the rocks and crash their mm-hmm. boats and kill them and stuff. And it was almost like these, Franco viewed these the two sisters as sirens, how they lure them into the island and kill them mm-hmm. to you know 
take their riches or whatever and have but, their thing. But it was also interesting how, like, you know, plot twist, um, Lena ends up offing herself or maybe disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> Who they knows? said they never found her body. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Like, um, maybe she turned into a siren. Maybe yeah. She jumped into the sea and off she went. You know, she turned into sea foam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was, yeah. It was just interesting because, you know, they were saying how the sirens are luring the men and killing them. And then she herself being a siren of the island supposedly kills herself but disappears. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't know if she yeah. becomes the island or if she's dead or, or what, mm-hmm. you know. And I do like how you know the ending because it goes full circle, but there's a lot of things left undone. Like what happens to the bride? Is the mm-hmm. sheriff dead? Is it this? That happens. Well, what's what's the final thing? You know how, how it all goes. But then in the end, you don't need to always know everything. It mm-hmm. just it doesn't. Who cares? You know. I think we as people always have to. A lot of us have to always want to know everything and stuff. It's like no, yeah. you don't need to know everything. And that's part of the mystery of life. And that's like Franco's character. There's always a mystery to it. It's 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 different. It's not two women. It's sirens or it's this or it's, it's does, however you view it. You know. Does um, Jess Franco? Does he? pop up in a lot of his movies yes yeah oh, okay. he's acts in probably three quarters of the films in very oh, degrees okay. sometimes uh more and sometimes less you know mm-hmm. but he'll he definitely has a, a good part in it and he's it's funny too because in some of his earlier films we would laugh because he'd always have himself as like the master detective from scotland yards or he was like mm. the really smart professor he's like giving yourself the fucking cool roles like I'm smarter than all of you you know it's like, it's like well, okay well shit, I'll put myself in that character you know but uh, yeah he, he he's funny but then he'll play like sleazy killers or mm-hmm. or you know uh, mentally retarded people or he'll play everything all all across the spectrum you know mm-hmm. and stuff so he's he's really cool and he does a lot of the music or not in this film but he he plays music and stuff and to understand Franco is like the more you understand the more you'll understand his films like Franco's a total jazz guy mm-hmm. and he likes to play jazz and a lot of his films are like jazz like where and same with wrestling like jazz is you know where you start and you know your middle and you know your end but a lot of it's just free form kind of jamming and so a lot of his films are like that you have your points but the middle parts are just kind of jams and they go through and they hit the points part you got to tell and it jams a little bit the weird cool stuff then it'll hit your plot point and as long as you hit your points the stuff in between doesn't have to always be one through twelve. It could be one, three, five, nine, twelve, and then have all your stuff in between. That's just you know, but you still have your whole layer. So it's it's very cool with his stuff. He's a definitely interesting filmmaker. How he assembles his stuff, and he's got that music background to make his films like a like a song, you know. Because different people construct their films different way. Kubrick puts his film in a certain way, and Scorsese has his mindset, and mm-hmm. Kubrick and all these other people. So Franco has that kind of that jazz mentality, mm-hmm. which is really cool with his stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah. So um, is there any other notes or things you had to, you wanted to talk about? Um, uh, I think you hit a lot of those. Yeah, huh? I've pretty much talked about everything I wanted to talk about. Um, I, I I did enjoy the, the nipples, the, yeah. the 80s bush. Well, technically. Yeah. Well, 70s bush, but because it was right, an right. 80s film. 80s bush and all the boobs 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 and ass 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 <laughs> i like her um, purple outfit she wore that like yeah. see-through thing that was pretty cool yeah it was also funny because um like even the stuff that was supposed to be sexy wasn't sexy no. to me like um when eva leon was uh 
humping the sheriff. Yeah, when she was yeah having sex with the sheriff, it was just silly. What was that? Yeah, quote? he go. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like it. Hold on. I'll I'll let you say the quote, but uh, they're having sex and and he's like, oh, I'm kind of tired of you, and and then she's getting ready to pull off of him. He's like, no, don't stop. I didn't say to stop. Just keep it going. It's 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 okay. okay. Are you ready for what he said? Yeah. So his he his says, is, is damn it. Why I do have. Big emotions and a big cock. Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> Why do I have such big emotions and a big cock? Yeah, he's like, that's funny. It's like, as the as the guy put himself across, like telling everybody he has a big dick, which was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that's and, and that's. But I guess you could say he's saying also he has big heart energy and big dick energy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Plus, he for is the sheriff. The, for all the millennials and Gen Z listeners out there. <laughs> yeah. But he has to believe that because he is the law. Mm. However strong or weak the law is on that island. Um, and, you know, he, he is mucho macho. And he is he is mm-hmm. the fucking, you know, the right hand of the law, even though he's corrupt and everything else. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I know that. That was, that was interesting. Um, well, I'm going to go through and hit the Franco list and go through what uh, is always on the Franco list. And if, uh, as a first time listener, what is the Franco list? So basically the Franco list is things that pop up in his films throughout the run of his films. Okay. Certain, uh, reoccurring motifs, symbols, parts of the film that not only I've picked apart, but through things I've read, other people have mentioned. These are really strong themes that he uses in all of his films or okay. most of his films. And so you'll see if like, um, uh, how much of it actually comes through. Let me see okay. my list. Where do I go to? Uh, oh shit. Uh, hold on one second. So, um, actually while I look for this vamp for a minute, tell me about just Franco's outfit, what you thought about what he was wearing. Uh, Jess Franco's outfit, what I can tell you is that I don't even remember it. He was wearing that leather black kind of cabbie cap. No, let me tell you, because I don't remember it, because all I remember is ass, ass, titty, titty. (laughs) (laughs) No, because there's like boobs everywhere, and they were so big and jiggly, and my boobs are small, so I was like, wow, that's amazing. And this film has a way that's new to a lot of his films, too, and it's only two girls. And then so I, was, I was just, like, admiring the bush. It was just so majestic. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, people aren't offended by me, but no, um, I, like, I appreciate it as an aesthetic oh, and yeah. as a historical piece of art. Um, not, I'm not trying to, you know, objectify these women, but I'm just like, wow. You know, aesthetically, artistically, I really enjoyed the male gaze. Yeah. Um, in this movie and like I can understand it and I appreciate it and I can respect it so yeah, yeah. no that's good it's good but yeah l- seriously though I don't remember what he wore I don't even remember what he looks like to be yeah. honest <laughs> no he had long 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 hair which I liked he had that toothpick in his mouth he had the black leather cabbie cap that buttons in the front um, he had the black leather jacket he's just kind of like hanging out yeah. okay yeah in my cool. sick imagination he just looks like Anthony Hopkins <laughs> <laughs> wow that's but I know that's way off big time <laughs> But my my mind just like yeah that that's what you saw that. that's funny yeah <laughs> all right here we go uh, Franco list okay number one body of water big time there's a mm-hmm. the whole film is about the water uh, people that come into the sea from the sea uh, number two sailboats sailboats always represent dreams uh, you get on a sail the wind takes you to off somewhere where you want to be 
it's an escape from reality. Unfortunately, there was no sailboats in here, but three boats. There's motorboats. Uh, that's pretty much it. It's just these little motorboats that take people to the island. Uh, four palm trees. Yeah, plenty of palm trees in this um, along the island. Quite a few. Uh, five jungle sound effects. No, there's no jungle sound effects in there. Uh, some of his films, he'll he'll put like bears in the mm-hmm. jungle, mm-hmm. like a bear growl. You know, like bears don't belong in the jungle. And we used to laugh because we hear crows and bears and tigers and all these other things he'll throw in. But mm-hmm. he didn't have that up in here. Number six, chained up person. No, nobody's tied up, chained up, held uh, in any kind of a chained up situation. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. No, there's no... Um, scene where a person takes off their clothes for an audience to watch no type of a strip tease situation However, um, oh wait she yeah. did take off alita or yeah Ebelion's she does strip character. for him yeah she she takes off her clothes for um raul sebastian because he has a regalo yeah. for That's her true. you're right yeah, i take <laughs> yeah. that back so there is a yeah, it's not on stage but she does strip for him because he In says the i got a present for you because they're gonna do it yeah do but it before that He's like, I have a present for you, but you have to, to you have to undress. Yeah, and she's she doesn't want to undress because she she already has like this little negligee, see through purple outfit. Yeah, yeah, and you you see like her you see her nips, you see her bush. Yeah. but yeah, he's still insistent, so That's she true. does it. You're right, you're right. There's a dance yeah. scene. Yeah, see, she does. You gotta enjoy it for what it is. That's true. Yes. That's true. Uh, number eight, club scenes, uh, dancing in a bar. Well, um, a bar is the main thing of the film. Mm-hmm. The bar that she runs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where she's playing the guitar and mm-hmm. all the guys are standing there enjoying it and stuff mm-hmm. so there's no i mean so yeah that, that definitely counts as a club scene not dancing but a bar definitely uh number nine jazz music no no jazz music in this there's just the one female vocalist theme uh through this whole film just that one song that they go back to over and over again which is really I nice i forgot what it sounds like yeah <laughs> i was i was more fixated on the fact that she was strumming but the it wasn't yeah, it was even all, going with the music <laughs> like that uh number 10 excessive zooms no he didn't zoom in all the way or zoom out there wasn't a lot of heavy zooms Actually, uh, the opposite, he used a lot of wide-angle shots of mm-hmm. the f- big vistas and landscapes and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Out-of-focus shot, yeah. A couple times, but it meant something. He had the bride out of focus when she was in her dress coming to the thing. He kept shooting her out of focus, and I was like, wow, she's out of focus. But then I realized that's done on purpose because she's out of focus in her mind. Mm-hmm. She's a, she's in a haze. She's mm-hmm. wandering. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's, you know... Oh, a uh, pregnant chick, too, before she got sexually assaulted, number two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that one, too. Um, number 12, mirror shots. Yeah, there's some great mirror shots for us. You talked about the very first shot of the film, The Lady mm-hmm. on the Pier. Mm-hmm. There's the mirror with the with the ocean showing her duality of mm-hmm. her reflection on the thing. There's, um, yeah, I had Yes Water. There's also a cool mirror shot where she's at the bar uh, looking in a mirror and the guy comes up from behind her mm-hmm. I think in there is a mirror shot there's like three or four mirror shots in this that mm-hmm. are really, really nice and they always show the duality and that's a big part of Franco's films mm-hmm. the duality of characters um, let's see number 12 mind control theme yes and no there's no hypnosis but there is the mind control we talk about the bride being mm-hmm. controlled with her visions of the husband mm-hmm. and not having her own free will and just mm-hmm. going what she wants to do and, mm-hmm. and not and being led by that. Yeah, and you can also even go with like character dynamics as well, like with uh, Raul Sebastian and his power over his cronies, yeah. and, or even 
um, the character, the main character, Alita, played by Eva Leon, yeah, yeah. and her sister, yeah. Maria, played by Lena. That's true, yeah. She had her under her, her control of the mm-hmm. mind and how the thing is. Uh, 14, magic tongue scenes. No, Lena doesn't have her magic tongue. Lena will a lot of times like lick nipples and and she does a lot of tongue stuff but wait going... wait explain magic tongue as a first time viewer i need to know okay about this. well <laughs> lena's got a magic tongue explain, lena's explain. tongue goes in places that uh sexually uh lena explores with her tongue she leads with her tongue she i've seen her um French kiss a woman uh-huh. and wrap her tongue around the other woman's tongue and envelop her tongue with that tongue. I'll show you a clip of it later. Okay. And she, yeah, she, it's always Lena's magic tongue. Lena uses her tongue to mm. give joy to people. She always likes mm, to, okay. she, I mean, a lot of times people will kiss on films, but she always makes a point of licking and sticking her tongue out and really okay. using her tongue, wagging her tongue and flirting with her tongue. She uses her uh-huh. tongue as like people use their boobs or mm-hmm. she's always like, you know, doing stuff with her mouth and showing her tongue a lot but in this one she doesn't okay. but she's mute so it's funny she doesn't talk so mm-hmm. she you know but there's that it took away her mm-hmm. magic tongue yeah i know it took away her <laughs> magic tongue she's mute so uh 15 red light no there's no red light even though there were some red lips though yeah red lips definitely um there's no red light bulb but also if you do red light as prostitution then it does a little bit in that more mm-hmm. f- f- figuratively speaking but not there uh, so this one's almost off the list. Uh, sheepskin rug. No, that was more in the 70s, uh, mm-hmm. the Dietrich film. Mm-hmm. And then this is masturbation with a letter C item. Why the letter C? Okay. Is it for cock? Kinds? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, when he made these films for Ir- Okay, so in the 70s, Franco made about 14 films for a producer named Erwin C. Dietrich. And I had the theory, because we notice them every film, because we watch all these in a row as they're made. And mm-hmm. during this span, every film had a scene of a woman masturbating with something that started with C, a cigarette, a oh. cucumber, cigar, a cane, uh, a claw, uh, everything was C. And we, were oh. like, and we were like, that's another C item. And I'm like, and oh, I name it and okay. we laugh because we're like, that's a C item. And so my idea, my theory is that that was, because Franco didn't like this producer that, basically this producer hired him and he was making films under this guy's eye and he had no creative control. The guy that was doing it uh, hiring Franco made him stay inside and he couldn't go out and shoot outside and so all of his films were different so it was almost like a way of doing this to the producer What's flipping that? him off you know <laughs> giving him the finger like fuck you I'm gonna do this little inside joke and ah, it's okay. almost like a C because I thought Earl you know C Dietrich because he used that C as his middle initial so that that was my theory of, of that uh, 17, mad scientist and a servant. No, there's no mad scientists in this. No, he'll have a lot of mad scientists with a, a mute servant like uh, Morpho or or other other characters. Um, but I guess it would be the two sisters, the sirens. Yeah, I mean, you could have a servant. It could be Lita to her. Mm-hmm. But you have that dynamic a lot in films. Yeah. But 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 this is not really a horror film. So oh, that, gotcha, that gotcha. Really that one. Uh, 18 fish tank shots. No, he likes to shoot through fish tanks, and I did that with Lady Hyde. So when I made Lady Hyde and a little bit of Manuel, I used this Franco list as well and tried mm-hmm. to use as many of these as I could as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I had a talking bird in my film, Floppy, talked mm-hmm. in the beginning, so he has a talking parrot. Number 19, no, there's no talking birds, no talking animals. But in the next film, uh, the Filipinas film, I think there's a talking chimp in that one. Uh, number 20, end credits, yes or no? Yes, it says Finn, and it says where it's shot at... Uh, 
Marika and Almir, I believe. Uh, number 21, handwritten notes. That's like a lot of some of his really bad films. He'll have like a cardboard with like felt tip that says like office. And you're like, oh, that's oh we, we saw that the the drinking age. 18 anos. Yeah, 18 anos. Yeah, that's, that one's... You said 18 anos. That's yeah, asshole. Anos. No, that's anus. Oh, no, yeah. A-N-O-S. Oh. 18 years, I think it's anos. I thought it was anos. Or age. Or, or maybe anos. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, my pronunciation was wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, number 22, Spiral Staircase. Now, there's a staircase in the house that goes up, but there's not a, a spiral staircase that goes, you know, in a spiral stage. So... Uh, number 23, inept cops, big time. The guy mm-hmm. is fucking corrupt. He's mm-hmm. an inept cop. He's not a good cop because he's swayed by the things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do the things. So, yeah. And he wasn't even prepared for the final battle. Exactly. Yeah, he got <laughs> shot in the back. He wasn't like... So. Oh, I'm sorry, my my um my Siri. Sorry, I'm not listening to you. Out of nowhere. Shut up. <laughs> Be quiet. Wait, is it my Apple Watch or like? I don't know. It's one of the two. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't endorse Apple. Apple's <laughs> screwed. F Apple. No. Uh, okay, 20. Where are we at here? 24. Belly chains. No, nobody wears any belly chains in this. Belly jewelry at all, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more of a 70s deal, those type of films. Uh, number 25. Kinks. Um, sexual kinks in this. I was pregnant. There's a. Yeah, but I don't think he gets off on having sex with a pregnant woman. <laughs> That's not. It's like, a, oh, she's pregnant. I got to get her. Um,. <laughs> Well, yeah. I guess for me as a viewer, I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> she's pregnant! Ooh, yeah. it's sexy." <laughs> no, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't really catch too much kinks on this because it's more like the uh, the like betrayal and all mm. that stuff. It's not really there's not a lot of I mean, there's sex in this, but we talked about it. it's it's just inconsequential. It doesn't really mm-hmm. mean a lot. It, it's more the fallout of the sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty six great headboards. Yes, uh, I liked. I mentioned to you, Lena had that cool green headboard. Mm-hmm. Or not Lena, but Lena has a real basic one. But there's like Sylvia. Cool, Sylvia has that cool green headboard, um, and there's one or two really nice ones in there. So I always catch that, and which is funny because people used to make fun of me because I would look at there was like naked people in the bed, but I'd look at everything but the naked people. Like, oh, look at that plug-in! Oh, look at the cool headboard! I'm always like I'm looking at all this shit because I just like looking at everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty-seven. Uh, f- okay, fear or desire? What would be your? What does this film encapsulate to you? Is it fear or is it desire? Uh, I know it's almost. I have to think for a second. What do you mean, like? <sighs> well, okay. So you have the fear of, of the of the Alita, wanting the fear of of her wanting to advance more in life, mm-hmm. but being stuck where she's at. She has that fear. That fear is keeping her where mm-hmm. she is. She, she wants to go further, but she can't. Um, the sheriff fears the gangster guy, Mr. Mm-hmm. Sebastian. Um. I guess people in the town they don't really fear Jess Franco, so there's a mm-hmm. little bit of fear, desire. Um, you know, I think there's more fear than desire. Well, actually, there's desire because the sheriff desires Lita, mm-hmm. Lena's character. Um, hmm. I don't know. I'd say there may be more fear than desire in this. A lot of times, it's really apparent one or the other. Mm. But like, like, what's the overlining thing? Is it like fear or desire? I I, I almost sound like. I would sound like I'm quoting Donnie Darko. No, 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 I like, I like but, I, but you know, like that one scene in Donnie Darko where they're like, 
love or fear. Like, okay. Yeah, right, right. And, and Donnie Darker was like, "There's a whole spectrum of human emotion." Blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. So for me, um, me personally, like I do see fear in there, and I do see desire in there, but I was noticing more of like a spectrum of you know, human emotions um, throughout the movie. Um, but I guess in a way, if I was to pick fear or desire, I would probably have to go with fear yeah, because so you, you see a lot of things like revenge, suicide, murder, and, you know, a lot of tragic and traumatic experiences for these characters, not only, you know, feeling stuck on an island um, and the power dynamics of the characters while they're stuck on the island um as well as their own personal fears regarding their own lives um so yeah i guess i would have to say fear but at the same time um as a first-time viewer being informed about you know this uh list of uh, motifs i would definitely you know like to say definitely Keep in mind of that there's a range. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> for but, sure, but, but, but yeah, no, I I, I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, in all of his films, there is yeah. all, a lot of that stuff. But it's always like, in the end, is a mm-hmm. fear or desire. That's kind of the, the yeah. thing with him. You know, I feel like if this was more of a if this had more soft core stuff going on, then I would probably say yeah, desire. Yeah. Um, I was hoping to see like more like an erotic. I was hoping for more sexual stuff. I was like really yeah, hoping yeah. Um, cause I, I wanted this to be a little bit more pornographic. To be honest, <laughs> well, there's more films like that. If, if you're interested in being another guest reviewer, I'll show you some of those. That, but that, but I'll say I didn't warn you. Yeah, but like I don't know. Um, but it was it was good. I liked it. But um, yeah. But also, I'm just I'm just a very curious little pervert. So that's why I was just like I thought this would be more pornographic, but it wasn't. It was just an adult drama. But yeah, you do get um, if you're a first time viewer like myself. Yeah. You know, you, you get to enjoy, you know, the, the lusciousness of the... And also, too, I think if you're not a Franco yeah. fan or you're not a big thing... Like, this is just a cool movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an interesting movie. And even if you're like me, I'm a hardcore Franco guy and you're a first-timer. Mm-hmm. So it's like you liked it and not mm-hmm. knowing much about Franco and it's still a good movie, you know? It's mm-hmm. like... And this is... In certain Franco films, you have to be in that key to, like, mm-hmm. get it. But with this one, I think it's a, a just a good yeah. old-fashioned movie, you know? Yeah. And also, like, for me, I don't really watch very many Spanish... Uh, yeah, films. Yeah. Uh, the only film director that I'm that I've ever watched with, you know, is Guillermo del Toro, and mm-hmm. you know, like I've seen Pan's Labyrinth, for example, and that's in Spanish. But you know, that's a completely different style of filmmaking, and so you know, to watch this um, also in the Spanish language, it was just very different because uh, the the techniques and the storytelling and the the filmmaking was very very different. Yeah. And, to be honest, I don't even remember what we're talking about. What are what? Well, no, I'm just going through the list. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to ramble. I'm okay. so sorry. No, no, no. You're good. No, good. My That's ADHD. what we do. Is, no, it's all good. Um, if you're familiar with Pedro Almodovar, <laughs> Pedro a- Pedro Almodovar, he did. Um, what he do? Hamon Hamon. He did um, the skin I live in. Uh, uh, he's yeah. a Spanish director, seventies, eighties, and and nowadays he's actually still working nowadays. Mm. Um, he's very influenced by Jess Franco as well, and he's a Spanish okay. filmmaker. So he's, yeah, he's you know, know yeah, yeah, he's cool. You have to um, send me stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think you like him. A lot, a lot of people like him. He's mm-hmm. he's he's really cool. Uh, Twenty eight uh, acoustic guitar player, a yes. big time. Yeah, the, the main <laughs> the lady plays the guitar. Guitar player. Yeah, I noticed you were digging her <laughs> strumming style, which is funny. Uh, 29, reading a book scene. No, I think nobody reads in this film. 
Nobody picks up a book to read to get information for something that is happening or nothing. I didn't they catch that. They don't need to because they got Jess Franco, who was the yeah. wizard of the movie. He's the book, yeah. <laughs> He's the actual book. And it's funny, so you keep calling it wizard. You know that uh, the character of Yoda was mm. based on Jess Franco. Really? Yeah. There's the, I'll, I'll, I'll show you after You're this. You're lying. Thing. No, I swear. <laughs> no, supposedly a guy that worked for Franco that did character sketches for George Lucas and stuff. Oh, actually, Yoda, yeah, you know what? I can see in the face, yeah. Especially when he got older and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. can see in the face. Yeah, there's the That's thing. interesting. Which is cool because... Did, did um, Jess Franco get any royalties off of that? No, like that? and he, he, he tells a story about, like, after Empire came out, he was, uh, uh, the guy that he drew came up to Franco and was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sure you must be mad at me and blah, 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 blah. And Franco's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, yeah, I drew Yoda based on you and all this. <laughs> oh, you know. And to me, it's cool because Yoda's smart mm-hmm. he's the 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 genius and, and mm-hmm. he's like this old wizard and he's so wise and it's mm-hmm. like that's like a total cool thing on just franco so i always think that and finally number 30 p scene no nobody goes p nobody talks about having to go p or there's no uh peeing in this mm-hmm. film so uh, i was welcoming that so that's good but yeah for a while there were uh, every film had a, something about going p or i have to go p or that's so yeah. hard i almost pissed my pants and, um you uh, with the pee scenes in his other movies, is it like does he show more of like the women peeing or the men peeing? I'm very curious. I physically I've seen the women pee, mm-hmm. like sitting on the toilet going pee. Mm-hmm. Men usually talk about having to piss, or I almost mm-hmm. piss my pants, or mm-hmm. oh you make me so excited, you almost make me want to pee, or just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was like what, you know? So it's just. But funny. do you ever actually see the pee? No, uh, <laughs> just the girls sitting on the toilet. Oh, peeing. just sitting. But on it's the not like zooming in or nothing graphic. Oh, okay. But you just know they're you know, the sound effect or whatever, ah, you know. Gotcha. So, so, yeah. That's, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. No, that's fine. You're, you're, I'm very hyper-focused on these things. No, that's good. I like that. I like that. It shows you're interested in that you care about something. So that's that's always much appreciated. So, yeah, so that's number 30, and that's the end of the Franco Observer list. So, yeah, uh, somebody had mentioned to me before, they're like, oh, yeah, you should try to keep all these lists of every movie and count how many of films mm-hmm. have. I was like, no, that's too fucking crazy. Like, out of 130 films... Number five showed up, you know, eighty-five times. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go through that many mm-hmm. thing. That's a whole other ball game. But. but I have a question though. Yeah. Because um, yeah. me being a first-time viewer, now you say that um, out of all, like, uh, with your experience watching his movies, what would you say is the motif you noticed the most? I'd say sailboats and water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say body of water and sailboats. That's mm-hmm. a lot of the things, and uh, even like. Boats and a lot of times he'll use boats washed ashore on mm-hmm. sea, like they're you know. And, and he could have done that here. He could have mm-hmm. boats that are washed up that shows people's dreams have left them or or they're or they're stationed in life. They're mm-hmm. they're stuck or whatever. You know, he, he definitely could have done that in this. But uh, yeah, and also palm trees because that's like a native tree, I guess, in Spain. So it's like and mm-hmm. he shoots exterior. So if he's going to shoot exterior, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten you're going to see at least a few palm trees. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, yeah. So it just kind of gives that motif, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I really like this film a lot. Um, supposedly, it's based off of the film Johnny Guitar with uh, Joan Crawford. It's like a 650s, 60s film. Uh, What's that movie about? Basically, it's like a Western where a woman runs a bar and she's like really tough. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I haven't seen it, um, but I have it. Um, but yeah, it's basically Joan Crawford okay. plays this tough woman was, that runs a bar. Was this when Joan Crawford was still in her prime or like? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, definitely before she got old okay. and stuff. You know, I'd say late 30s something like that before so. the wire hangers yeah before all that <laughs> shit you know but uh, yeah no this is cool um i like the the cover of it her with the the bride with the rifles a, a cool you know visual and stuff um i don't really see the kill bill thing in there they mentioned in the back of the box like 
oh, it influenced Kill Bill. I don't know. I think just because the bride coming to kill the people, but that's such a small part. I think it's more about the sisters and that dynamic more mm-hmm. than it is the bride. She's There's two storylines or a few storylines, but the main one is the two sisters and then mm-hmm. the subplots, the bride and her boyfriend and that family and mm-hmm. stuff, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um what was your favorite thing about this whole movie? I would say the shots, the cinematography in this, uh, mm-hmm. how just visually just so beautiful. I really love his natural light. That's one thing I kept remarking. Mm-hmm. There's no artificial light in this. There's no like big lights he set up. Everything is lit through mm-hmm. the light through the outside. And also too at night when he's shooting those boats and it's so dark and the, mm-hmm. and the, and the whole water looks red and the boats floating through mm-hmm. and you can barely see it cause it's shot at dark and it's all pixelated and shit. That just looks so cool. And, uh, I like just, uh, I like the visual. I, I'm, I'm a very visual person. So mm-hmm. I, I like the visual aspect of it. And that always stays with me the most. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say. And what was your favorite part about it? Um, I would have to say the female characters. I just like how diverse they were and how they were the anchors of the movie. I also liked the femme fatale aspect of it. That That's always a, a theme I like um, or archetype I, yeah. I like in movies and pop culture in general. Um, I also... I also enjoyed the, the male gaze of this movie um, mainly because... Um, it was, it was done in a way where it respected the women, like it it was empowering and, um, like it wasn't lewd. It was more like, you know, these women are like goddesses on the island and whatnot. Um, and I also like just how complicated the female characters were. And, you know, as the movie progressed, you see different aspects of the, the female characters and, like, cause I, I know with, um, uh, what's her name? Alita, her character. Um, I didn't like her character at first. Right. And then as the movie progressed, she grew on me. And then, uh, Sylvia, I, even though I could relate to her, I didn't want to relate her to her. And she annoyed me at first. Um, and I also didn't like, you know, the the tension between Sylvia's character and Alita's character, especially because I started getting more biased towards Alita. Mm-hmm. But um, I liked how she um, Sylvia came into her own at the end and just went batshit crazy and decided to kill everybody. <laughs> also, to listening to you talk, I, mm-hmm. I like how every woman the well, there's only three women mm-hmm. mostly, but the three women on this are so different than each other. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about, you know, the young young eyes and mm-hmm. the young everything's so strong to her then you have um lena romay who's just mute and she's mm-hmm. pure and she's mm-hmm. taking things in and she doesn't know how to relate to things and you have the sister that's mm-hmm. the strongest and the, the heaviest and goes through the most stuff mm-hmm. and as long as the other one and it's, each person's totally different and they weren't carbon copies of each other and mm-hmm. they all are individually fleshed out their own mm-hmm. things and that's really important as well because some of the guys are very similar like the guys in the gang are mm-hmm. pretty much the same people. Yeah. The guy with the beard and the young kid, they're all just the same punks. They, they don't they don't look different. Uh, they physically look different than each other, mm-hmm. but they're pretty much the same character, carbon copies. Um, the sheriff is almost a carbon copy of the Mr. Sebastian. They're both got their thing and they're both in charge. And they're, I mean, they're both too, I mean, Mr. Sebastian's maybe more, I mean, he's evil as fuck and stuff as well, mm-hmm. but he maybe doesn't have some of the, 
weaknesses that the sheriff does, but it's like they're almost similar. So it's like the women are so different than each other, and, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a really strong way to point. And with Franco too, he always takes things from the female point of view, and even though it's voyeurism and the male gaze that you talked about, and but as viewers, we're all voyeurs. We're mm-hmm. watching the thing, and he does it from the voyeuristic standpoint. So mm-hmm. you know from that objective so yeah yeah i and i personally liked it especially because like not even that not only that but you know like looking at um voyeuristically and aesthetically like looking at these women's bodies like from the male gaze it's refreshing to see like watching it now in 2023 especially as a new viewer because you know these days you see like instagram models and um you know, like the Kardashians and all that, and it's like everything's plastic, and a lot of people, a lot of women, get, you know, lip fillers and plastic surgery, or like they do their makeup, and they, a lot of people are starting to look exactly the same. Big and time. So, yeah. um, to me, I particularly liked. I wasn't objectifying these women, but I was appreciating no, right, right. and admiring their their bodies and uh, their beauty because it was just so authentic and natural. Um, even when, um, what's her face? Eva Leon's character Alita would you know would play dress up with the wigs and the costumes yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like that and the makeup, um, you know there was still they 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 all had unique looks and yeah. you know their bodies were very natural and you you see like even like their boobs like their boobs are like voluptuous and whatnot and it you know they're not fake no. plastic things. There's nothing wrong with um, you know people getting plastic right, surgery, right. but it was just interesting as an es- it was just refreshing to see as right, an they're natural bodies. Yeah. They weren't all skinny or this yeah. or that or pumped up like you were saying. It just, yeah, just, especially yeah. like even with like the seventies bush because like me personally like I'm not into body hair, and right. so like just seeing that I I was able to like appreciate it for what it was as yeah, yeah. as an aesthetic for you know its time period. Big time, yeah, yeah, I know, and it's just like. It's just natural, and that's what mm-hmm. this film is—a very natural film. It's just mm-hmm. nature and everything in its nat- natural setting. So, but uh, yeah, well, good. Um, no, I, th- I think this was a good, a good first film for you to watch. I mean, maybe it wasn't as salacious and crazy and batshit out there as films he did twenty years before or, or whatever, <laughs> but or ten years before or whatever. But uh, no, I, I like this film for you to see because. Um, you're obviously a lot younger than me, but you're not a young 18-year-old kid as well. Mm-hmm. And we've all kind of went through things in life that make us look back at things and mm-hmm. reflect in different settings. And this is a film about reflection and mm-hmm. about choices in life and things you go through. And it's like, it's a good show to, it's a good yeah. film to show somebody that sits down and thinks about things and yeah. stuff. So it's it's nice with that. I, I, I do like that aspect as well because like, I will be, like I'm in my late 30s. Uh, I'll be 38 in hold on it's february now in a few months yeah. uh so for me like i know for myself you know getting closer to 40 i'm already at that point in life where i'm like reflecting so oh, yeah. so um like with what I, where what i've done where i'm going what i've done wrong what i can do better and so uh just seeing that within the characters itself like that was like a really cool way to relate especially as you know a first time viewer as yeah. well yeah yeah you almost take stock in your mm-hmm. life and you see how much of your time has gone by and like mm-hmm. with myself i'm almost 50 so it's like mm-hmm. i look back and i go wow you know 10 years the last 10 years went by really fast mm-hmm. and then i go well shit 10 years from now i'll be 60 and then like my life's not mm-hmm. over but i'm getting close to the end yeah. and you start like really measuring time and yeah. it's a really interesting and thing. like we're like in the sacramento area and uh, the sacramento scene or art scene here 
um, that we participate in, it, it in itself is like an island. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, it is. Yeah. so it's interesting to see, you know, even within our own community here, like the the dynamics between people and whatnot. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and this film takes place on an island. Yes. <laughs> yes. And in a way, like we are all isolated in our own ways like, yeah. as people. So I thought that was really cool. Like when you look at it from a symbolic perspective as well. So I like that. It was relatable. So if you're a new viewer, yeah, like myself, um, you can, there's a lot you can take away from this movie and uh, pull apart uh, to interpret a lot of meat. <laughs> yeah, and, and as a filmmaker, I really take a lot of joy in watching his films because I, I learned something from each of his films. Mm-hmm. And like with this, you, you you look at, you know, his location is really beautiful and stuff, but it probably didn't take a lot of money to make this film. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's really simple, but it, it tells a really great story. It's mm-hmm. beautiful, and it gets a lot of cross for the small amount of money. So it's really, really nice, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, so... Well, I think we're going to wrap up this conversation because I think we've pretty much okay, spilled USA. our guts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, a little well, blood sport. <laughs> no, we did. Nice. <laughs> and we're at about 76 minutes, so that's really oh, long. Wow. Yeah, we talked for about an hour and uh, 16 Sorry, minutes. Sorry, I tend to ramble. No, that's what we want. We want conversation. We don't want 10 okay. minutes off and on. We want. I hope I didn't like cackle too much. No, no. <laughs> it's really great. And, and I, I, like, I like having first timers come on and, and like watch these things and and come at it from a different point of view because mm-hmm. you come at it from a totally different place than I come at it from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to see what others see and, and share and, and mm-hmm. see if you feel that same way or I do or, and mm-hmm. see where things lay. So, yeah, definitely, definitely, I, I really enjoyed this film. And uh, it's not in my top 20 Franco films, but it, I would say it's maybe in my second tier of, like, the next 20 mm-hmm. is, is in my – I may have seen 100 – what is it now? 131 films Have of Franco. Have you seen every single one yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. He's done 174. So I got another 40 to go, and then I'm done. Oh, then your podcast is over. Then you got to find another director. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there's other things I could do. There's more Franco I could you better do. better watch out. I want to keep this conversation going if you don't shut me up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> your podcast will never end. <laughs> It'll be the eight-hour podcast. No, no, it's all good. So. Well, good. Well, um, are you down to do another episode in the future? Uh, yes. Awesome. Good. Well, I'm glad you're on board. Uh, Not today. Well, it's obviously, dinner yeah. Time. No, I don't. I, didn't, I don't do two back to back. So I, I am a young boy. So, um, but yeah, thank you very much for Miss um, Teresa for coming on. I appreciate uh, thank it. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for like continuously collaborating with me. I yeah. appreciate it. No, I, and, and, and I enjoy your energy, and I enjoy your, thank you, thank your spirit, you. and your dedication, you. and, and all that good stuff. So, I'm the right. mind of a child. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Adios, amigo.